Be sure to follow the J Money Talks podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And also be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel as well. Also be sure to follow all the social media in the links below. Anyways, let's get this money, baby. Money Club, baby, baby. up welcome ladies and gentlemen to episode number 26 of j money talks podcast i'm your host big j money and boy i'm just recording this podcast mere minutes after we now have our super bowl set now and basically let's how should we start off with probably the first game which is the afc championship game we have the kansas city chiefs Playing host to the Cincinnati Bengals. The Chiefs pretty much two us came in, I believe, a seven-point favorite. The number two seed in the AFC, AFC West Division champs. Taking on the Cincinnati Bengals, who pretty much so far has had like practically a surprising season. And somehow we looked at them as like the underdogs in this. And honestly, I was my opinion. I agree with a lot of people. They pretty much were coming in like underdogs. But somehow the Bengals, I don't even know how to process. So I guess let me go, uh, let me actually find my, let me find my phone real quick. So give me a second, I need to grab a phone so I can process the scoreboard so I don't have it in my mind. Like to be honest, I'm like my brain is fried because of that, about because of what I just witnessed. Like for real, like my brain is like fried for real because of what what happened. Because I never even I never thought of we would see this. So here's how we start off this. So how did we get to this? Well, let me see. Where's this shit? Alright. So. So, how do we get started with this game? We had pretty much Patrick Mahomes to Tyreek Hill on a 10 yard pass, which kicked off the action with. With the Browns, with the uh, Chiefs going up seven nothing over Ken- over Bengals, and but coming towards the end of the first quarter, like Evan McPherson would kick a 32-yard field goal, he would kick four field goals in his game, four field goals in this game, this game, this game so let's begin so in the second quarter it looks like the Chiefs started to run 
the score of it. Started running the score. Started running the score. And it looks like this was the case here where where Patrick Mahomes would find Travis Kelsey for five yards after a pretty much fine way to escape escape from from the Bengals defense. And Patrick Mahomes would find McCall Hartman for three yards. Free yards. So we are pretty much going to have so right now as right now with over five minutes left in the first half, the Chiefs are up twenty one to three. So this is a big thing. So so Burrow would actually find some Margie Piron for a forty one yard pass to go in a halftime twenty one to ten. A big thing is actually this is going to be a big play. Actually, one big play in the game. One big play was possibly, probably made this the end of the half as they would get the ball in the last minute and a half. The Chiefs would drive down the field thanks to a 33 yard pass from Mahomes to Tyree Kill. 33 yards. Then on the first and ten at Cincinnati 48. Now this was at Kansas City 19. Mahomes and Tyree Hill would move to the Cincinnati 34 for 14 yards. 14 yards. And the big thing was in the last two plays of the game, Kansas City used all their timeouts. Cincinnati only used one of their timeouts in this drive. Actually, two of their timeouts, two of their free timeouts in the in the first half, and this is the big thing: was Cincinnati would be down at the one, would be they the Chiefs would get down to the Bengals one yard line, thanks to pretty much Eli Apple getting a pass interference call, fourteen yards, which would move him at the one. So I believe this was spotted. Probably at the uh, probably at the end zone, which I'm gonna assume. We're not sure. So, and in both these games, Mahomes would get incomplete with nine seconds left, and in, in the last five seconds left, Patrick Mahomes would throw pass, and he was to tire kill, and it went for no gain. And guess who actually made the play? Surprisingly, Eli Apple. So, so this. Could have prevented the score from being 21 going to halftime from 21 to 10 to being 28 to 10. And so, here's the thing. In the first half, it was like, so in the first half, I believe the Chiefs may, I think the Chiefs in the first half had like over 230 something yards total in the first half. And from the last, like, the next, and then from this point forward, this is when the Bengals would end up performing probably the comeback. As both teams exchange punts for the first three drives, free drives, then the Bengals would actually go down the field to kick a field goal to bring the game to 21-13. So, so Mahomes trying to actually move this game forward. 
he ends up he would end up throwing try to throw to Demarcus Robinson and it would get intercepted by BJ Hill at a Kansas City Furry and he would go 30 yards and so and so in prime territory the Bengals would get the ball back and in in five plays then in five plays Joe Burrow would find Jamar Chase for a touchdown and they also would go for two two, which tied the game at twenty one apiece. So basically this went from uh, looks like a Kansas City Chiefs blowout to pretty much the to now a tied game. Tied game. Browns force the bent Browns end up force the bleh, I can't I'm sorry I don't know why I said Browns. Bengals would end up forcing Forcing the Chiefs to punt next drive. Drive. And immediately after they get the ball back, Joe Burrow would throw a pass intended for Jamar Chase. And he gets intercepted by Ladarius Need at a Kansas City 47. But however, the, this is one of the big things is the Chiefs end up going free and out. Free and out. Free and out. On the next play, and the Bengals would start using in that fourth quarter would start chipping out the clock an 11 play 46 yard drive, 46 yard drive on a third and six. Joe Burrow would scramble left and actually would get push out bounce at the Cincinnati 31 for seven yards on a third and six at their own 24. Four, and then this is one of the big ones, big plays that pretty much made a difference. On a third and seven at Cincinnati's 34, Joe Burrow would actually find a way to scramble up the middle to Cincinnati's 45 for 11 yards to keep the drive alive. Drive alive. Next play, they Frank Clark on the Chiefs get called for all got called for offsides, which ended up moving them five more yards to midfield. And then Joe Burrow would throw a short pass to T. Higgins, and he would. Rumble, bumble, stumble into the Kansas City 34 for 16. 16. Next, next three plays in this drive. Next four plays in this drive. It would go. There would be a false start penalty. Incomplete pass from Burrow to Higgins. Uh, Joe Burrow would find Jamar Chase for five yards, and. Burrow would would throw to Piran for no gain on the play, which would set up a 52-yard field goal by Ever McPherson, which gave the Bengals the lead. So we went from 21 to three. Bengals were down 21 to three at one point in this game, early on in the game, to now taking the lead, scoring 18 straight points throughout this the rest of this game. So. The rest of the way we go back the rest of the way. And now it's the now it's Kansas City's turn to respond. Turn to respond. It would be We have we would have the Bengals basically playing the bending dope break because at a 31 at Kansas City 44, Mahomes would find Kelsey short. Short pass to Kelsey, runs into our 18 yards, 
And now, now Chiefs are in Bengals territory. Territory. We have a two-minute warning. Also, during the drive, the Bengals had did use a timeout. Used a timeout prior to this game. Used a prior timeout in their last drive. So we end up getting down from. So this went. Then went from. Then now the second one at Cincinnati 29. Jared McKinnon would end up running for 14 yards, which set us up to the two-minute warning. Next play, we end up going. Next play, we would have. Next play, free plays later on a third and two at Cincinnati 7. Holmes will find Kelsey for two yards. Cincinnati takes their second timeout. And then next, first and goal from five, McKinnon would take, would run a yard for Cincinnati 4. Next play. Patrick Mahomes would be in shotgun, and somehow he drops back, and then somehow he drops, like, many yards back, like, the Bengals push him back, and then he, and then Mahomes tries to run forward, try to at least gain some yards back, or at least get to the line of scrimmage. He gets stopped for five yards. He will be sacked at the Cincinnati 9. Next, third and goal. Patrick Mahomes gets sacked again, would get sacked again, and he fumbled, and it, it forced a fumble by Sam Hubbard, by Sam Hubbard, who also made the sack in the second goal play. So, luckily enough, Kansas City recovered it. If the ba the Bengals had a chance of actually getting a chance to recover that ball and would have sealed the game right then and there. So, because of that play, Kansas City had to take a second timeout. They go to a field goal. We get to a 44-yard field goal by Harrison Buckner. The game ends up going to overtime. So, we now have... Overtime for it. We have never overtime game. So, we start off with overtime, and it appears like it's going to go via a coin flip. Basically, a coin flip. So, if anyone doesn't know how the overtime rules work in the NFL, postseason-wise, they have a 15-minute period. This goes, if you're... If you have the ball in the first possession, you all you can score a touchdown and it ends the game right then and there. If your defense, the main goal is simply to stop the team enough to get a field goal, either create a turnover to where you get the ball back, and all you gotta do is kick like an extra kick a field goal. Kick a field goal or basically force it like a free and out, team hunts, you drive down the field, score. And that's it. Score, and that's it. Another way is also you can cause a safety in a one more thing. Cause a safety, I believe, to can also cause a uh, can also cause a um, cause the game to end right then there if you're the defense and you actually create a safety on the on the um, the defense. So defense. So we have. So, of course, Bengals have to uh, call, make the call. They chose heads. It ends up being tails. Chiefs win the toss. They decide to receive the ball first, take the ball. And this is where, because in the last game between the Bills and Chiefs, the Bill, the Chiefs end up winning the coin toss. They end up driving down the field to score a touchdown and win the game, which ended uh which ended the uh, probably one of the best games of the year 
probably one of the best games, playoff games of all time. And it kind of sour note because Josh Allen and the Bills didn't get a chance to get on the field. But that's the thing about overtime is is if you don't want if you want the ball back, you need to actually play. You gotta play offense or some defense. So gotta play defense. So that's the main thing about that. So <clears throat> let's move on to. So let's get into the drive. First drive. So Chiefs get the ball to start off. They start at their own 25. Patrick Mahomes would find, would go for, for um, go for Demarcus Robinson. First pass goes incomplete. Second pass goes gets incomplete. Is incomplete. Would be incomplete. Go incomplete. Demarcus Robinson again. This time, first pass was incomplete. Short. Incomplete pass on the left side. Patrick Mahomes would throw it to Marcus Robinson again for a short pass on the right side. Incomplete. Third and ten. Patrick Mahomes would go for sides to go with. Fuck it. Tyree kills out there somewhere deep. And instead, it gets batted up and it gets intercepted by Vaughn Bell with the assist by Jesse Bates. At Cincinnati 40, he runs it for five yards. To the Cincinnati 45. So if you're a Bengals fan, you pretty much just now realize all you gotta do is kick a field goal to win this thing. So how does the Bengals respond to this? So we start off with so we start off with Joe Burrow throwing to T. Higgins to the Kansas City 46 for nine yards. Cross midfield. Basically, all the Bengals gotta do is get in the field goal range. So they're pretty much just playing it safe and playing it smart. Next, Joe Mixon would run for four yards, getting a fast set of downs. Next, Joe Mixon would throw two, would throw two, would throw T. Higgins, would find T. Higgins to the Kansas City 40, 32 for eight yards. Yards on the second, on the second eight. Another fresh set of downs. This time, they're in field goal range. Next. Next, Joe Mixon would run up the middle to the Kansas City 25 for 7. Evan, next, second and free. Joe Mixon would run for 13 yards to the Kansas City 12-yard line. 12-yard line. Kansas City would take a timeout. Would take a timeout at their 12. Joe Mixon would run up the middle for 2 yards. And Joe Burrow would then run... Would then stop at 13. So at the 13 on a third and 11, they would send out Evan McPherson to kick a 31 yard field goal. Kicks it through the uprights. It's good. The Bengals, for the first time since 1988, is going to be going, is going to the Super Bowl. And understand what has happened. What, what has transpired this postseason so far. Like, this is like understand 1988 is a whole lot different because because the last time this team has had prior to this year they had like five years they've had five straight losing seasons five the most that had a streak like that was the 1999 St. Louis Rams who had nine straight seasons of losing seasons before reaching the Super Bowl. 
So let's see how we got to this. What was 1988 was. At that time, the Bengals were the number one seed in the AFC. They ended up leading the league in points, total yards, and rushing yards. The league MVP was Boomer Sirison, which was their quarterback. He threw for 3,517 yards and 28 touchdowns. They ended up rolling through the playoffs to face the Niners in the Super Bowl. And, and this was Super Bowl... Twenty-six. I think this is twenty-three. Sorry, I'm I'm looking at the first one. This because they actually played seven years prior to the Niners in Super Bowl sixteen, and this time is so. This is the same thing. So what happens now? What happened when this? What happened now? At this time, the number one hit on the charts was. Bobby McFerrin's Don't Worry, Be Happy. Which is the first acapella song to reach that high. So, at the time was the, was the L.A. Dodgers and the Oakland A's competing in the World Series that year. In 1988. So. At that point, both Kevin Rand and Seth Curry were born in 1988. Okay, so we have Joe Burrow is now the first is now the first quarterback to be selected number one overall to reach champ, conference championship in his first two seasons, and it's also going to be the first cube first number one pick to actually lead his championship lead his team to a Super Bowl in his second season. He joins Tom Ray is now the only QB to defeat Patrick Mahomes in the postseason. And he was not even alive when Cincinnati went to the Super Bowl. His dad, however, was 35 years old in 1988 and was in his second season as Iowa State's defensive coordinator. Or in actually... The only team that was born before 1980 that would barely remember the Bengals making the Super Bowl was only lawn snapper Clark Harris and punter Kevin Huber. Zach Darrow was like 32? No, wait. Zach Darrow was 32. So, actually, that's weird. Strange. So, let's see. Fun fact... This was actually the same thing where the Batman comic, in the Batman comic, and this is the one where pretty much the, was right when, this was about the, this is the one where Jason Todd died, actually. This is at the time where, where they actually published where the DC editors at DC Comics decided to create a 1-900 number where the fans called and cast their vote on if if the Joker killed Robin or let him live. And this was the first and the last time the Bengals made it to the Super Bowl. There have been five different actors who have portrayed Batman. 
The next one's going to be Robert Pattinson, which is going to be released in March. March, right now, it is the... This is like the... So right now, they have pretty much stopped many things in this game. Patrick Mahomes now has lost a game where he has led 18 or more, 15 or more points in a season. This season. This season. Uh, let's see. What else? Because what else can we even... They tied an 18-point race in 18 points, which is actually tied an AFC title game record for largest comeback. So that's one thing. Oh, let's see. Because now we have multiple things that have happened. Because right now, so far, this thing in this se this season has done. They have now. Because what else can I put in there? Because what else is there big on this point? Because the biggest thing is right now. Because the biggest in the most recent injury about big injury that's bad about this is that Bengals tight end C.J. Osama ended up twisting his left knee in the first quarter and he did not return. He came back in the second half where using crutches in the second half. So the chances of him coming back for his game in two weeks is might not be possible. So, but all I know is like to me, like me, I just pretty much process, I had to process the first, Pretty much process immediately after the game, and pretty much process practically like the past, like throughout the NFC title game, just going through Twitter, making some tweets, making posts, and stuff. And I'm just like, I couldn't even process what just happened because I'm like, the Bengals. Because to me, you understand this if you don't know, I'm a big. Baltimore Ravens fan. I've been a Ravens fan for a long ass time. And I live in Louisville, Kentucky. Here in Louisville, Louisville is like 100 miles from Cincy. It's an hour and a half drive from I can pretty much get in a car driving like an hour, hour and a half in, to Cincy. And I pretty much have because I pretty much just don't like, don't get me wrong, I am, I'm not saying, like, don't get me wrong, I did want to see the Bengals at least win, I was expecting, like, the Bengals to win at least the Raiders game, and then whatever else happens is like, hey, you guys, because me, I'm like, well, you guys finally got your win, so now you guys, because I'll be honest, I, I like, I respect the Bengals team, I have no issue with players and stuff, and coaches, it's just to me, I just have, the only thing I have, I just hate, is pretty much the fan base. Because a whole bunch of y'all are dicks. There's a certain few who are, I have friends with, or, or I'm friends with, they cool. All, a lot of y'all can suck a dick, because y'all motherfuckers, 
take y'all shit so seriously. So I'm thinking like, and I'm guessing it's because you guys haven't won a playoff game in 30 plus years, and it just made y'all bitter as fuck for some reason. But now I'm like, okay, you guys finally got this win. Now can y'all chill the fuck out? Plus, get, please understand, also, I went to, I have pretty much dealt with a bunch of Bengals fans throughout my time. Because growing up, living in here, basically the most of the teams we cheer for is either you're going to be a Bengals fan, a Colts fan, a Titans fan, or a Titans fan, and Steelers fan maybe, Cowboys fan, which is always a thing, and you pretty much don't have many teams. Like, before Lamar Jackson got drafted, okay, before Lamar Jackson got drafted, it was probably me, my sister, and, like, maybe a couple other Ravens fans in the city. So, understand, we did not have much of choice. We didn't have anyone supporting us. And understand, because I actually, here's one of the things about it, I don't never go see a bank see a Ravens Bengals game in Cincy ever, and I'm saying this why because I went there when I was 17 years old, and every Bengals fan wanted to pretty much wanted to get on my ass, and I'm like, bruh, this is my it is actually by the way, this was my first ever NFL game, period. So understand. I'm just going to this game. I'm 17 years old, trying to watch at least my favorite team play. And this is the closest I can get to, closest stadium I could go to, outside of Indianapolis. So, I don't say I'm from Louisville. Like, we don't got a pro team. What do you. Like, for real? And, like, every Bengals fan. And I'm, like, grown man, grown women. I'm thinking children pretty much was ready to to throw hands. And I'm, like, look, I may not be from here, but, damn it, you ain't going to disrespect me. I was, there were times I wanted to so much beat someone's ass. Like, some were disrespecting my older sister who was watching the game with me. I mean, they were like, like, literally, y'all were some assholes. <laughs> For real, like, you guys were some legitimate assholes back in, and this was like 20, this is a year after we won the Super Bowl, so we went there the year after we won the Super Bowl, so it was like, and we weren't going to make it to playoffs, really, because I think we had to win that game, and I think a couple other things. Or I think we were already eliminated. But still, you guys were dicks, and it was like the last week of the season. <laughs> so, you could have just like, okay, you guys are going to the playoffs. We're already out. So, okay, it's the last week of the season. Like, bruh, just chill out. Like, but, that's why I'm just like, to me, I'm like, as much I hate the fan base so goddamn much, the fact that you guys finally, because of all the futility you've had, the 
pretty much the fact your owner is a cheap ass. The man, you pretty much have wanted to fire your head coach like last year maybe. And I'm on everything. Like, y'all just somehow, some way made it as far. I somehow believe we're in a in some knowledge of energy suit. I feel like a Bengals fan somehow got into the NFL office and somehow put an infinite Tsukiyomi on the whole postseason and somehow we're here. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I still hours later can't process the fact that this team is actually in the Super Bowl and we, our expectations was for Ravens was to get into the Super Bowl. My thought process now is like, like tomorrow, like I think this week they're going to have press conferences with John Harbaugh, I believe, uh, the GM, Eric Zacosta. I'm thinking they're going to talk with Mike McDonald, which is his introductory press conference, who is our new defensive coordinator. I'm hoping they have Roman speak because we need to know, like, what are you plan on doing next year? Because, bruh, if you need to open up that playbook real quick and give us something because if you if you just play like ass because right now we need we need to prove now we gotta prove ourselves now we really gotta do better now because the at this point now like the Bengals now have are practically going to literally are going to the Super Bowl and I'm just like Now, if, if they win it, I'm like, yeah, we need to step our shit up. Because if because now I'm like, I am already know there are going to be tons of comments about, well, Joe Burrow's the best quarterback in the AFC North, better than Lamar Jackson, all this shit. And I'm like, and on top of all that, there's also like trade rumors. Ravens are going to trade him. I'm saying this right now. That better not happen. That better not fucking happen. Because if that happens I'm 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 not I'm not settling for second place with be internally second place I'm not internally going to be the bitch of the Yamcha of the damn division I refuse I deny I decline I'm out like I'm I will retire as a Ravens fan from that point forward my affiliation will cease Right then and there. Because that is inexcusable. I just don't even know what to process anymore. Alright, let's get into the next game. Uh, we have now the Rams taking on the 49ers in a rematch. Ram, 49ers have lost. Have won. Have, uh, have won like six straight recently. They've won. They swept both teams, both games. So let's get into this. Start off. So here we go. I guess we'll start off with the. Uh, let's go into play by play. So first game starts off kind of slow. Both teams go free and out. First play was where LA actually in the next drive, LA would start driving down the field. Driving down the field with Matthew Stafford, finding Cooper Cup for 17 yards. 
37 from the LA 36 to the San Francisco 47. 47. On second and eight at San Francisco 45. Matthew Sever would find Tyler Hickby, for, former West Kentucky grad, uh, with a short pass to San Francisco 32 13. In very next play, Matthew Stafford would find Odo Beckham to the tw- from the and first go thirty two to the twenty two for ten. Yen next Camp Acres would would run for eight more yards to the fourteen for fourteen yards to the San Francisco eight yard line, and from first and goal, first and goal, first goal, Camp Acres would trot would. Would run up the middle for no gain. Next play, Mavis Edward would find Tyra Higby, who would be stopped at the three yard line for five yards. Third and goal from free. Mavis Edward would try to find Cooper Cup in the middle, middle, and it would be intercepted by Ward. I believe that's Jimmy Ward at in the end zone, and he would run back to the San Francisco 23 for 23 yards. All right, so we have, so, so that means so the, so, the 49ers would, would then, would get the ball back at their 23, 23. Jimmy G would find Brandon Ayuk for to, for 12 yards from the San Francisco 23 to the 35. No, 35. Next play, two plays later, Jimmy Garoppolo would find. Would find Elijah Mitchell for a short pass to the L, and he runs to the LA 44 for an 18 yard gain from the 38s of San Francisco. Now, free place layer, free place layer on 36 at the LA 40. 40. Jimmy Garoppolo would find, would, would throw incomplete pass to Brandon York. Falls incomplete, and the four hours would have to punt. Punt, and the Wisnowski would punt, punt, and it would be downed by the San Francisco by San Francisco at the L, to the LA free yard line. Yard line, pretty much great special teams play. That pretty much Pat McAfee would be blushing right now because of that. So, so moving on, we would have the ring. So on frame two at the LA eleven, LA's eleven airline, Matthew Stafford would font would throw to Van Jefferson. It would fall incomplete, but Lawrence would fall on the field for defensive pass interference at the spot of the foul. On Thomas, uh, San Francisco, and so, so the, so the Rams would get in life. I'm, I'm really sorry. I'm just tired. Okay, I'm just. Let me just be run through this one. So, in this drive, I'll just go for the big place real quick. So Matthew Stafford, three and ten at the LA forty-three. We're in the second quarter. Maybe Stafford would actually scramble up the middle to the San Francisco 43 for 14 yards, get a first down. 
Now, on second and ten from a San Francisco 43, maybe said we're fine. Uh, Blanton to San Francisco 32 for 11 yards. Ours. Next, we move up. We fast forward. 36 at the San Francisco 28. Mavi Stafford would find Cooper Cup for 13 for 15 yards to the San Francisco 13. 13. Uh, first and 10. First and 10 from 13. Pivot would get sacked by Nick Boza, which would move them up. Move him to the 17. 17. So Michelle would run up the middle for you know, one yard gain at second and 14. Then at third and 13 at San Francisco 16. Mavis Sad would find Cooper Cup for the touchdown, 16 yard touchdown. And the Rams would be on, would move, go, would go on a board first. Next, San Francisco would respond in a short fashion as Jimmy Garoppolo would find. Pass short to Debo Samuel for two yards. Yards. Jimmy Robble would then would throw deep to Brandon Ayuk for a 31-yard gain from the San Francisco 27 to the LA 42. 42. And three plays, two plays later on second and 12 at the LA 44, Jimmy Robble would run for would get a pass from Jimmy Garoppolo and he would rumble, bumble, stumble his way through into the end zone for a 44-yard touchdown which would tie the game which would tie the game tie the game, next play we have the Rams next drive next drive on 39 at LA 24 Mavis Sad will find Odell Beckham from the 24 to the 37 for allies 37 for 13 yards 13 yards ever two runs that would give him give him 11 yards give him 11 yards to the 48 only 48 Matthew Sabre would find a Cooper Cup on a second 10 and on a second 10 for 9 yards to the San Francisco 43 31, so Michelle would end up running for five yards to get the first down. Move chains. Next, second and ten. Cam Akers would move up the middle to for two yards. So now for an eight. For an eight. Maybe Sarah would try to find Oda Beckham deep. Deep and incomplete. And on 4-8, Matt Gay would kick a 54-yard field goal, and it is no good. It goes wide to the right. All right, so going into... So, L.A. with minute 50 seconds left would take this drive the next minute 50 seconds, and they would go drive down the field. Drive down the field where he would... Okay, let me see here. Jimmy Jimmy G would find uh, George Kittle for on a furry nade from furry nade at San Francisco 46. Jimmy G would find George Kittle to the LA 43 for 11 yards. Four yards. Next on second and four, Jimmy G would find Brandon Ayuk to the 
from the LA 37 to the LA 24 for 13 yards. Yards. San Francisco would save her timeout, spike the ball. Spike the ball. Then LA would fan from the second 10 at the LA 24. Jimmy G would scramble up the middle for four yards to the LA 20. San Francisco would call a timeout two with 20 with two seconds left. Just sent out Robbie Gould for the 38 yard field goal. It's good. And San Francisco would take the lead in the halftime 10 to 7. Next drive, San Francisco would would punt from the 30 from a New York 40. From the LA Ford. I'm so tired. Look. Let me just go to the scores. Scores. Here. Just so it. Because I'm too tired for this. So. After LA turns it over on downs. Downs. The 49ers end up going down the field. Going down the field. And. And Jimmy G would find George Kittle for a 16 yard touchdown. 16-yard touchdown with help from Jimmy G to Jennings to the LA 15 for 11 yards from LA 26 on a third and 10. And Jimmy G finding Debo Samuel to the LA 26 for 14 yards from the LA 40 on a second and 11. And from a third and a third and four with Jimmy G passing to Brandon Ayuk to the LA 39 for 13 for 13 yards. By the way, I'm tired and I'm also hungry because I've been fasting for like 24 hours. So bear with me here. So now they are now Rams down 10. They need to find a way to get back in this game. So LA would drive, use his drive. It would also go down from a fur use up to the last of the third quarter. Now we're in the fourth quarter. Maybe Stafford to cup. On a fur and one at San Francisco for 11. Scores. Scores. Now it's 14-17 San Francisco. Francisco. And it was all thanks from. It was all thanks from. Matthew Stafford finding Blanton to the San Francisco 20 for a 20 yard gain. On a first and 10 from San Francisco 40. Matthew Stafford finding Cup. On for 11 yards at the San Francisco 40 from the LA 49 on a second and eight, eight, and they pass from Cooper from Stafford to Cooper Cup at the LA 32 for seven yards from the 25, and was thanks by a penalty by a taunting penalty by Al Shahir for taunting. Which, I'm be honest, in my personal opinion, Tottenham penalty is complete bullshit. NFL, remove this thing next year, please. And thank you. So now, LA is showing life. Now it's a game. Now it's a game. LA would... San Francisco would be forced to punt after six plays. After six plays. After six plays. A's. San Francisco will drive down the field to kick a 40 yard for Mackey to kick a 40 yard field goal thanks to the efforts of 
of Matthew Stafford pass to Cooper Cup for 16 yards to San Francisco 25 from the San Francisco 41 on a frame 10. 10. Matthew Stafford finding a deep pass from to Odell Beckham from the 15 on a second and 10. LA 15 to the LA 44 for 29 yards and also thanks to a unnecessary roughness penalty on Ward on Ward which was set up for the field goal. Now it's a tie game. Next play. Next drive. The rant the 49ers would go free and out. San Francisco would then drive down the length of the field. 10 plays, 49 yards, just for Matt Gay to kick a game-winning field goal from 30 yards out at the San Francisco 12. 12. San Francisco would save time on the clock by burning, using two of her timeouts, getting it to the 30 with a minute and 49 seconds left. Thanks to the effort of Mavis Stafford finding Cooper Cup for 25 yards. And Mavis Stafford finding Blaine for 8 yards uh, on a third and one. Crucial third and one and a third and three. First one was from the LA 42. From the LA 48 to the San Francisco 44. And from the San Francisco 40, 37 to the San Francisco 12 yard line. Line. So it's now Jimmy G's time to at least play a role and try to keep this game, bring this game, at least for chance to win the game. Win the game. Jimmy G would fall incomplete on the first and 10 at the 25. Second play, Jimmy Garoppolo would find Jennings, who gets stopped for a loss of three. Third and 13 from a 22. Jimmy Garoppolo pass short for Hasey. It gets intercepted by Howard at San Francisco 14. He goes to the San Francisco 13, and that would be it. It San Francisco user last timeout on the user last timeout on the first kneel down. Stafford with kneel two more times, and now is it Rams making their way into the Super Bowl? They finally slayed the dragon. With Slay their Dragon, which is the 49ers. And that means the Niners have blown a lead. Blown lead. Ends their... Ends a great national playoff run. And pretty much ends the era of Jimmy G and San Fran. Now, next year will be the year... Will be the year of... Will be the era of Trey Lance. Rams will move on to the Super Bowl. Now they go on to the Super Bowl. And now they are... Now they also play host because the Super Bowl is also in L.A. In SoFi. So, Bengals are going to be going up against the Rams in two weeks. And alright, we already got like a super early preview already. I guess through ESPN. So we're going to go through it real quick and just see what they got. If you, as this, if you bet on in a preseason odds, Bengals before the season started was 125 to one long shot. If you consider what they were at in 2019, they were 
the worst team in the league with two games, which ended up helping them get Burrow, and they even won four games last season. Basically, they have made the quickest turnaround from worst record to the Super Bowl in league history. Now this is the second team to now the second straight team playing the Super Bowl in their home stadium. So let's see what the big thing is. Opening line is the Rams is a three and a half point favorite. The over under is at fifty. According to the FBI, the Rams are the favorite 64, 6 4 of of pretty much the FBI has them winning by five point six points. So points. So what's the first look in the matchup? Let's see what's going on here. So let's see how this goes in this game. So we are now seeing what is going on here. Because let's see what's the biggest thing going on here. So let's see what's the big thing is. The chances of the of this team right now the big thing is going to be is if you have big matchups in this game you got Mike Hilton going up against Cooper Cup. The goal is trying to stop Cooper Cup. If you're the Rams, if you're Bengals, next thing is right now if you're a big thing is going to be also the is can the Bengals secretary actually stop? Is not just stop the is not only stop the Rams offense. The big thing is can the Bengals actually stop stop the Rams defense front, especially Aaron Donald who is in the interior, so that's gonna be the big thing right now. So I don't know what's going what's it going to be, but right now it looks like it's a this is gonna be a this is gonna be a back and forth by many people. It's kind of fifty fifty with between Bengals and and Rams on both team on both teams. This is pretty much a big, big game. The Ram, Rams went all in this season to make it this far. Spent all that money, all that money. The biggest thing that's going to happen. The only way that this could happen is Sean McVay can is Sean McVay has had a half hours of use of timeouts. And also, he can overthink his play calling. So, the biggest enemy and can be the coach. So, that's going to be the big thing on can... Because he's made it this far before. We saw, and that was the Patriots and what they did with their defense and stopped him from doing a nullify that offense. So, now that question is, what's going to happen now? Especially right now, Zach Taylor is a former LA Rams coach. So, a former assistant under Sean McVay. So, that's going to be a big thing. What does he know? What can he do to stop that offense? Offense, the big thing is right now, can the... The big thing is, can the Bengals stop the... Actually, stop... The, the big thing is, 
the Bengals stopping the big can the Bengals stop the Rams offense. That's gonna be the big thing is right luckily enough the Bengals made major made a major defense adjustment earlier in the game against the Chiefs because when they were behind twenty one to three, the main thing is they took away they cut off stopped Tyreek Hill and stopped any passes outside the numbers. Stopped passes outside the numbers. And those attempts in the first half, Patrick Mahomes was hitting all 11 of them for 127 yards and free touchdowns. Then at halftime, seven out of eight of those throws were all misses. But that's going to be the big thing is can the Bengals take that type of, can the Bengals take a deficit like that again? Again? Because... Because now this is the big game. The big, big game. So right now, this is the biggest thing. So that is... Right now, it's like... This is a big, big game. The big thing is, I don't know... I'm not going to pick anyone now. Or I'm going to be doing is like a Super Bowl preview. We're probably going to go through the whole... Po- I'm actually going to go through the whole postseason. And go through every single big... Thing that happened this year so far because there's so much this postseason we're going to have to sit through and sift through and pretty much just because basically this post NFL postseason started off looking like looking like a bit of like we know who's going to make it in already know it is make it in and then basically it just somehow in the division round it decided to take every psychedelic chemical and knows how to make and just created insanity. So we're just gonna we'll go through a whole preview. This will be something that'll be on the YouTube, and I think we're also gonna put it on Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well. So it's gonna be full coverage of that, a full preview where I'm gonna break it down. I'm also gonna probably get I'm actually gonna get my probably a good friend of mine who actually is a big Bengals fan. And probably have him on the podcast. See if I can convince him uh, to come over to the department. I don't know if one day. So at least speak to him about this and see what his thoughts are because I already know he is. So I'm already know he's probably shrinking bottles of liquor, liquor and many packs of beer right now. So he's probably. So I might have to ask him like when he's like not as hungover. So give his thoughts on this whole season so far. Let him talk his shiz on the on here, and then uh, yeah, we got a lot of things. So that's gonna be a big thing. So we're gonna go ahead and move on. Let's go into. I guess we go into some of the bigger stories, which is of the year. Which is... Let me move on from these things. Uh, let's go with the big one, which is one of the biggest ones. guess we'll go with the Ravens thing. Whole issue involving the Ravens. Because that's actually the big... Uh, how big is this? Yeah, three, two. Okay. Uh... 
talk about. Um, I guess the big thing, the story of the week was, was probably the Ravens. I guess the, no, not the Ravens. I don't go too far about that yet. Um, let's go with men's basketball. UofL men's basketball right now. So, right now, Chris Mack, he is now out as the head coach in, he is now the, no longer the head coach of the University of Louisville. He is now no longer the head coach of the University of Louisville Cards men's basketball program after pretty much four after many disappointing performances in the past four, three, four weeks after his, especially after his, uh, after coming back from his suspension of the first game season because of allegations of extortion. So, it was, Louisville Cardinals pretty much saw, kind of started realizing the writing on the wall and realized yeah, this is not going to work with us. So, to Chris Mack, in the words of Vince McMahon, you're fired. In this case, they actually, matter of fact, they actually worked out a separate, a separation agreement, which is going to be over the course of like the next three years, I believe. He's getting four point eight million, but it's like spread out, and I think it's like. It's like for the month, it's like 188k a month. So, or I think it's like 133k a month. So going into so the end, the new coach. So the coach going into this for now in the interim is head coach Mike Puigs, who coached the U of L men's team earlier in the six first six games of the season, where they actually ended up going, I believe, six and zero. Perfect six and zero, I believe. I believe, where he actually ended up winning in the Bahamas. Jeez, in the Bahamas, I believe. In the Bahamas, in the Bahamas. Yes, being Severn. Actually, no way. They went actually five and one in their first six games. Where they beat Severn, Navy, Detroit Mercy, Mississippi, and Maryland in and a Thanksgiving tournament, the Bahamas Championship, winning those games, which was the first six games, Louisville would go five and one because they lost to Furman in overtime, 80-72. Then as then as the then when Coach Mack came back, he came back when Louisville would go on to face off against Michigan State in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Louisville lose to Michigan State, beat beat NC State and Raleigh, host to Paul, former conference rival back in the old Big East and Conference USA days, beats them. Paul beats them 62 to 55 at home. Then they would beat Southeast Louisiana, 
Then, Western Kentucky, they would travel to Western Kentucky and it would lose to that to them and Bowling Green, 82-72, before starting the year off playing against Wake Forest and winning that game 73-69. They would win their next game, start, a year, start 2022 off, beating Georgia Tech, 67-64. A close matchup, beating Pitt in a close matchup. Four, they lose to would lose to Florida State at Tallahassee, 79-70. Lose again to NC State in Louisville, 60-79-63. Lose in a rematch against Pitt, 65-53 in Pitt. Beat UCLA, beat UCLA, beat, uh, not UCLA, ugh, I don't, I am so, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm fasting, it's been over 24 hours, I'm going for 36, I'm tired, I'm pretty much trying to go through this as quick as possible, so I'm, apologize if I'm making mistakes, y'all, I'm just really tired, so, they would lose to, Basically, this would start a six-game losing streak. Actually, now one, two, three, four, five, six, seven-game losing streak. And the first six of them were all just disappointing because they would lose to Florida State in a close battle, 79-70. to They would lose to NC State, where they pretty much beat them pretty well, and somehow they just got curbs down by them at home. They were losing a rematch to Pittsburgh and Pitt, 65-53. They would then gain a gain a measure of gain something to actually beating Boston College, 67-54 at home. Then they would drop drop a game Saturday's game against Notre Dame to Notre Dame, which was the retirement ceremony of Russ Smith, one of the one of the all-time best Cardinals. And helped lead Louisville to that fur national championship, which is complete bullshit that they vacated it. And also that final force. Hang the banners back up, NCAA. Hang the banners back up. Lose to them. Then lose to Virginia two nights later at Virginia. And this was a Virginia team that was losing, that has lost like multiple games throughout the season. They are not. The same, like, Duke game. Same Virginia of old. Like, they've lost. They have losing to Navy. Lose to Navy. Lose to Houston. Lose to Houston. Lose to Iowa in a close game. Lose to James Madison. Lose to Clemson. Clemson. Lose to North Carolina. Barely beat Virginia Tech, 54-52. Lost to Wake Forest, NC State, and Notre Dame. Like, they lost eight games. Like, they should have, we should have won that game. So, from that point forward, it was pretty much like, at that point, it was like, the biggest issue was going on was pretty much... There was the issue of communication with players and and him and the players and basically a lot of players, even like the the captain of the team, uh, Malik Williams, who's like a fifth year 
fifth year senior, or should I say like sixth year senior, because of the eligibility, pretty much had, uh, pretty much had, was on a press conference, and me asked him, like, is there any issues like you guys communicating with Coach Mack? And it's like, and he said, like, I can't even comment on that. Like, basically, at that point in the season, like, he lost the whole, he ended up losing the team, basically, at that point. So, it was at this point, like, no way we're getting, we're going to try to at least get to the tournament at this point. A lot of us, hopes of getting into the tournament at that point were kind of just, like, we're done. Like, we're done. Louisville was starting to realize it. Basically, we're also at a point now where, like, we have an interim eight athletic director. We don't have a new president of the university yet. The university doesn't have a new president yet. So, basically, they were like, okay, we got to do something. Because, basically, at that point, the whole city pretty much was like, because the thing with Coach Maggie is like, we the whole city was done. And understand, when you play like, when you coach like ass, Louisville will roast the, can, we will roast the fuck out of you because we roll with this city hard as shit. Like, we roll them hard as fuck. And all college, and that's the thing with all of us because we are pretty much a college town. So, to us, understand here, the, U of L Athletics is pretty much our NBA, WNBA, NFL, MLB, because we actually have a good baseball program. Our MLS team, technically, even though we have a pro team. Like, and also at our NHL team, because we actually have a good hockey program, which ended up beating Kentucky. <laughs> which ended up beating Kentucky, sweeping Kentucky in the season series and more. So it is literally like for real, like our volleyball program ended up being good. We ended up making it to the final four of of uh, like the final four. So understand like this season, like we pretty much take it seriously and literally, and we're like a popular and like in terms of college sports viewership, we're like, the top five biggest markets for it. We are, we watch college sports religiously. It's like our religion. So, I understand wearing a U of L, anything U of L related, is pretty much a badge of honor here. Okay. Actually, that's probably part of the dress code. Because you're walking, if you're wearing some Kentucky gear, we kind of will roast you a bit. But some of us are like, why are you wearing that bullshit? <laughs> I'm just playing. I'm just playing. But but we would ro- we would kind of roast you. We we will roast you. So roast you though. But so at this point, so the question is, what's going to happen now? As the so what's now happening in the new era? The new. Uh, the first game of the post Chris Mack era, Louisville would have would host number nine ranked Duke. Ranked Duke. Duke prior to the game as 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 coach uh, Mike Krzyzewski of Duke would actually end up getting a couple gifts 
Kogis as the interim head coach, Mike Puig's, and Eeks, and the legendary and the legendary and the legendary Danny Crum, fellow former head coach Danny Crum, presented Coach Coach K with a blue and white Louisville Slugger baseball bat and Maker's Bark bourbon with Coach K's face etched on the bottle. Etched on the bottle. Honor. So, so in the first game that happened, so the biggest, biggest thing that happened is this was also the first time in this game they actually played this game. And this team ends up end up playing pretty well actually in this game because both UVL because UVL would go would play didn't lead this entire game but they end up sparking a comeback to at one point actually end up tying them by actually tying tying them end up tying at one point at I believe sixty apiece but. And because of that performance, they actually stayed, because of the close performance, them not losing, it was good enough to at least earn a big cheer from probably the biggest crowd of the season, which was 18,493, which was better from compared to last week where they ended up getting booed off the floor. Off the floor. So now, Tuesday night, Louisville is going to have another home game. They play against North Carolina on Tuesday night, which was moved which was actually a step above better than uh, where it was because it was actually like going to be tomorrow at eight o'clock, and that's at eight o'clock, and I believe that's on the ACC network. ACC network. The next. Then from there, Louisville has to go on the road to take on Syracuse and Notre Dame, and Notre Dame. Notre Dame before they head back home. Then they will be back home. To take on Miami, who is 16 and 5 right now. So, right now, the next five weeks are going to be interesting. One of the big things is now the question is are they, did they just cancel the, I guess they just canceled. So, what's going to be the big thing now because of what's going on? The big thing is now what's going on in the search of the U of L game with U of L. Who is going to be the new head coach of University of Louisville candidates? A lot of, according to like a lot of things on the rumor, a big one would be Kenny Payne, who is a former U of L, who was a former U of L basketball player, and is also a former, and is also for former, and is a former assistant at, at the University of Kentucky under coach John Carroll Perry. He's currently assistant with the New York Knicks. So, him, I think him being the coach would be a good fit. It's a good fit. But there has also been other candidates, according to ESPN, to the article here by Jeff Borzolo, Borzello, who is a staff writer for ESPN. And this is also an ESPN Plus article. So, if you have ESPN Plus, you can read it. But if not, you 
unfortunately for you, this is uh, gone. So what's one of the big things about this whole thing? How, why did we get to this point? So, year one, so how did year one go with, understand this is, understand last year, Louisville was 9-0-1 overall last year, and it was 4-0 in the ACC. It was, you know, Yovel was, was pretty much went from an NCAA tournament 17 in year one to a second place ACC finish in year two. And in that relatively, like, down ACC, the chances of winning a conference championship was, was hopes of winning a conference championship was going to happen. So, so how do we, so what happened now because of that point last year to now? What happened is the Cardinals collapsed from that hot start. They ended up finishing 13-7 overall and would miss the NCAA tournament. Then, Chris Mack with Van Gaten steered by an extortion attempt by former assistant coach Dino Gaudio, who Mack fired last spring. Decided to fire last spring. Because of that situa- whole situation, we actually mentioned this earlier in an earlier episode of the podcast. I don't remember which one it was. It was during the spring 21 21, so I believe it would be, I'm a guess, because I might have to go back and look in what episode it was, I believe it was episode 18, 19, somewhere around, I say around, I say it was like episode 18 or 19, because I think at that point, that was when the news broke out, came out. So, because of that situation, because the school, the program, the university decided to suspend Mac for six games because of his handling of the matter. And because of that, it encouraged more interest by the NCAA because they decided to add three more allegations against the program. And they're already dealing with, and they were already dealing with more, more stuff involving the Brian Bowen scandal, the Brian Bowen scandal, and it with Adidas and everything, which did which ended up costing both Tom Jurich his job as the athletic director, director, and Rick Pitino's job as head coach of UofL. UofL. So, what happened is Louisville was doing well, five and one, and when Mac returned from his six-game session, Louisville went six and eight. And from past five of their last six games before the Duke game, they lost five of their past six. The most notable one was against Virginia. And because of that, the environment, what was going on in Louisville, was pretty much ended up becoming a toxic environment for Louisville. Like, fans pretty much was booing the team and the coach. Drama was adding... Mac was mentioned multiple times in post-game news conferences that he was having a hard trouble getting through to the players. And on Saturday, after a loss to Notre Dame, Lake Williams offered, I don't have a comment for when he was asked whether players were still responding to the coaching staff. And throughout the season, Mac and the interim athletic director at this moment, Josh Herod, who might be the next athletic director, because he handled this whole situation professionally, very professionally, they uh, recently had multiple discussions throughout the season, and because of recently, both sides agreed that this environment 
Coach Mac basically, well, Coach Mac and Hurd, they both agreed it's time to leave. It's this environment. It, the environment's gotten too toxic. Toxic. Okay, no, no Britney Spears. Okay, so now we're going into this new job now. So Louisville's not like a traditional blue blood professionally, but it's a top ten program because, but because everything you want if you're a coach, you'll have plenty of resources. Because basically we, we will fund the fuck out. We boost the fuck out of program. We buy Louisville merchandise and shit. The history, recent history. History. We have top tier facilities in just the Yum Center, which is one of the best college basketball arena right now. College basketball arenas right now. Practice facilities, everything. Then an energetic and engaged fan base, which is true because we are practically a fan base that rolls with with the cards deep. This whole city. Well, not the whole city, but I say ninety. Five percent rocks with the cards. So we've won three national championships, uh, and it's free. I don't give a fuck if you think that 2013 title was vacated, and we've been to ten Final Fours. 2012 and 2013 still counts. You can't erase the history, motherfuckers. Okay. So is there any drawbacks to it? Yes, because there's no athletic director. We just have an interim, interim interim athletic director, and we don't have an actual president yet for the university. So the next the coach's boss is going to change could change within weeks or within months, and then we're still dealing with dealing with the NCAA's bullshit with the independent accountability resolution process, the IARP. That is yet to rule on these rules violations that was going on since I believe was 20, 2016, 2017, 2017, 2016, 2015, 2016. See, when Patino was still here, from a perspective, perspective. It's not a big hotbed for ACC quality talent. And the main guys in this state is, of course, UK. So, but is it a big, but, you, but from all the positive negatives, outside of Duke and North Carolina, you, this is the third best place to be in the ACC right now. It has the money, it's historically successful, and it has the facilities to be a national contender, a national championship contender. So, big one is Kenny Mac, Kenny Payne. Uh, number one was pretty much, according to a large segment of Louisville U of L fans on Twitter, was Bruce Pearl, who's a coach, head, currently head coach of Auburn. 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 Next, you got Mick Cronin, who is a former assistant from Cincinnati, a former assistant under Bertino, under Rick Pitino. Rick Pitino. He's currently at UCLA right now. He just led the team to a Final Four, and that was before he signed a contract extension. 
that he will stay there till 2027. But Big Cronin was in Cincinnati. Was is from Cincinnati and was the head coach of Cincinnati. The next one would be Chris Holman, who is the head coach of Ohio State. Of Ohio State. Um, it's possible they could pay off that the buyout now is not as bad because from because IU decided to reach out to him last March when uh, their uh, tenure with uh, Archie Griffin pretty much didn't pan out. Uh, but the buyout at the time last year was eight figures. So, but right now, Buckeyes are right now in the top 25, and they're going to have another big recruiting class next season. So, that's one thing. Next pick is Nate Oates, who is the head coach of Alabama. Alabama, who led them to an SEC regular season title and a two-seed in the NCAA tournament last year. And... Even though they've been inconsistent this season, they have already beaten Gonzaga and Houston so far. But the likelihood of the buyout after this season is actually nearly $12.6 million. Next would be possibly... Next one would possibly be Eric Musselman from Arkansas, who is another SC coach who actually signed a lucrative contract extension last year. And his buyout isn't as bad, but he has never been one to stay at one place for a very long time. So the chances of that happening is going to be kind of diff is kind of iffy. The next one would be a, this one's a good one. Who is Kevin Willard? Who is a coach at Seton Hall? He's also a potential candidate for the University of Maryland. Same thing, and he also takes the same boxes as McRonin. Outside of regional ties, Kevin Willard actually played college basketball at Western Kentucky. He's also a longtime Patino Patino guy. He's actually spent several seasons at U of L as an assistant coach, and he's also achieved playing success at mobile schools. Multiple schools. He so far has led the Pirates to four straight NCAA tournaments from 2016 to 2019, and he's won a share of the Big East title in 2020. So he actually has long been linked to other jobs, but he hasn't pulled the trigger on leaving South Orange, New Jersey yet. So, next would be possibly Dana Altman, who is possibly Dana Altman, who is head coach of Oregon. He might not have that personality, the personality that Louisville is looking for in a post-Mac era. He's actually one of the best coaches in the country. He has been to seven of the last eight NCAA tournaments, including a Final Four in 2017 and five second weekend appearances. So, Sweet 16 Elite Eights. Elite Eights. Elite Eights. He's actually been proven he can recruit consistently. Being which, that is the Nike's flagship school. So, for Nike. So, Allman is, could listen if Louis called. So... Homie will go from Nike's, would be trying to pitch Nike's to uh, Adidas, which is the official uh, clothing sponsor of UofL, if you're wondering now. From Providence, Ed Cooley. He is, so it says here, he might not be the best fit geographically, because he spent most of his time in the, exclusively in the Northeast of New England, 
Uh, Cooley has actually led Providence to a tw- to in the top 25 this season. Ever 16 and 2 start, he has appeared in five straight NCAA tournaments in between 2014 and 2018. There was a chance he could have been with the team in 2020 before the tournament got canceled because of uh, you know. So Cooley was last signed to a contract extension in 2019 when he was linked to Michigan to Michigan. Which Van would, which Van went to. Uh, what's his name? Shit. I'm a, I'm. I'm sorry. I I know it's one of Fab Five, but I can't remember the name exactly. I'm. I'm no. I apologize. Bear with me here. Uh. Let me see the name of the coach. Like, I understand. I am just... I'm just tired. Jawan Howard. Jeez Christ. That was... I'm sorry. I'm really trying to get through this jizz because of this stuff. Okay. Next is Mike Boynton from Oklahoma State. He... Because Boynton actually ended up boosting his stock because of last season's success because of him landing the number one recruit and eventual number one draft pick, Kate Cunningham, and winning a game in the NCAA tournament. The Cowboys sadly aren't eligible for this year's tournament, but it just won at Baylor two weekends ago, who was the defending national champions. He actually also signed a contract extension last spring, and that buyout is more than $9 million. Next would be Brad Underwood, who is a... He was a head coach of Illinois. Boy, so. But Illinois, he has been a consistent winner of free schools. He actually went to the NCAA tournament in freezing at Stephen F. Austin, guiding Oklahoma State to the dance in his one year in Stillwater, and then leading Illinois to one seed in last year's NCAA tournament before the second round upset. Fine Illini is currently in the top 25, but Underwood did sign an extension in September. Which you'll keep him there till 2027. Next would be Steve Forbes, who is at Wake, who is the current head coach at Wake Forest. Wake Forest, and he's actually done as good a job as anyone. He's actually helped lead the Demon Deacons to a 17 to four start. Ever going just six and sixteen in his first season as a coach, and Forbes has actually led, has won everywhere he's been. He's actually won 130 games in five seasons at East Tennessee State, before heading to Western Salem. He has excelled in quick turnarounds and he has good success in the transfer portal. But he also has a and he also has a history of, of. Being involved with the NCAA, as he actually has a one-year show clause penalty for failing to cooperate with the NCAA investigation of Tennessee when Bruce Pearl was head coach in 2011. 2011. So, speaking of Kenny Payne, he actually is going to be 
could be the best coach. He actually played college ball for Louisville. He was picked in the first round of the 1989 NFL Draft. He spent the past decade a couple hours away as an assistant coach of Kentucky. So he is an elite recruiter. He has been credited with the development of several of the Wildcats' big men. Big men. So understand some of those big men in question. You kind of, if you're thinking about it, it is Anthony Davis, Carl Anthony Towns, and a few more big guys. This can go on. The Knicks, he is now currently as an assistant with the Knicks, New York Knicks. He had, was briefly linked to the DePaul job last spring. Last spring. Next will be Wes Unsell Jr., who is who is a long shot. He's actually a the son of of the legendary Hall of Hall of Famer Wes Unseld, who actually grew up in Louisville and was played and played for the U of L Cardinals in the sixties, in the nineteen sixties. And it's a wall card, but it's actually a wall shot. And he's actually the current head coach of the Washington Wizards. Next would be West West Miller, who is he was currently head coach of the Cincinnati Bearcats. And he's as far as done two good things. And he has done a good job thus far. He's actually won to two NCAA tournaments in his final four seasons at the uni- in the University of North Carolina Greensboro. His buyout before March the 31st is right now three million three million dollars. Two and a half million after March 31st. And Miller is a former ECC player. He played for the University of North Carolina. And this is the last one. And this would be an interesting thing. I don't know if he would do this. He would do this. But this is someone who is very, very local. It's possible. Because he he's not only born and raised here. He went to UofL. He spent a decade here in UofL as an assistant coach. He's also a former... He's also led my my high school, Ballard, to a state championship as a coach. And that man's name is Scott Danford, who is the current head coach of Bellarmine. He's been the head coach of Bellarmine since 2005. He's guided them from Division Two to Division One, and he's also won a Division Two national title in 2011. So, the possibility of him going on to this is is going to be interesting. So to me, I think Kenny Payne would be the good, would be the big pick. The big pick here is a chance. There is a chance Mike Cronin could be in. I think Pearl, Bruce Pearl couldn't, if it's, it's possibility, Bruce Pearl could be a good pick. It's a big pick. That would be a big poach, and pretty much that is a constant rival that I do not think like John Calabari wants. Because somehow, somehow, Kentucky fans, y'all really scared of his man because he practically just whooped your ass on on that on ESPN. Like pretty much had a whole buffet of y'all. So, so I think that's probably what's gonna what. So there's a chance. Chance, but however, the next but one thing I do know is Rick Pitino actually offered up advice and he actually said 
that it is that he that they should actually try should try to at least pick up Kenny Payne in a speed in a post game press conference. Conference. So yeah, this was he was asked about it. Yes, actually, actually said here. Actually says says that Kenny Payne gets. He hopes that Kenny Payne actually gets the Louisville job. He believes that's the he's the coach for him. He actually makes endorsement. He also says, "I'm not sure about Louisville men's basketball program." He says, "I'm not sure that the coach didn't want to leave. I'm not sure of that, but there are a lot of great people at Louisville." A lot of great people, and a lot of people I don't like. Most left the board, and I'm happy they left. So I'm thinking that he was paid because I'm certain he didn't want to leave, and George didn't want him to go at all. So it was like, practically, what happened was I believe the board. What happened was at that time, the board pretty much gave him an ultimatum. Like to George, is like, yo, you fire Patino, or we firing you. And Fire and Patino both. Both of y'all. And I think George told him no. And he, he's like, alright, bet. You're fired. Patino, you're fired. And I don't know if he... Like, all he has a resentment towards the university. I just think he's probably going to be... He has some... Uh, he's pretty much going to be uh, underneath the bridge. So... I don't even know anymore if the, uh, personally to me, I want to see if the, I don't know what to do anymore. I feel like it's going to be a big thing is right now, the, uh, the Bengals have pretty much just, um, let me see what else is left. What else can we talk about right now? I'm just going through the Twitter, and everyone's just, like, going through it. It's pretty much still, like, talking about both games. Now OBJ is actually going to compete in his first Super Bowl. Now I just realized that too. I was like, let's see, what else is there? Big thing is everyone's saying is right now it's going to be like the big thing is actually I guess we'll talk about the Ravens I guess because the big thing is is like one of the big things is right now the Ravens got to make big picks is going to make some big moves in the right now if you're 
right now, this offseason is a big one. Because now, because of the fact that the Ravens... Right now, if you're now that the Bengals have won the AFC title, I'm like the Ravens have a big offseason ahead of them. This week, they're actually gonna have a. They'll have the rate. They'll actually have the coaches have a press conference. Coaches will be having a press conference. I believe. I believe the. Um, I'm going to say is, um, geez, I'm so tired. I'm sorry. Let me just take a sip of water here. <clears throat> mm, let's see. Um, what was I trying to say? Big thing is Ravens have to do is like I now start have to recruit get someone in the secondary. I think Tyron Matthew is like the for Chiefs is going to be a big will be a move that the Ravens are going to try to get because I'm probably sure he's probably pissed off because because he's like only the only secondary player on the secondary that is good on that team. So I'm already singing like the way they have been burnt on some plays. He's probably done. He probably is tired of Daniel Sorensen. Who's kind of a sorry player? I say the Ravens gotta build an offensive line. I guess improve the off the defensive line. Get some young, get some youth in there. We need to at least give more of our athletic, like offensive playmakers. And then the big thing is, of course, the extension would be the extension. So, big thing is now, the, so now the big thing is right now, if you're the Ravens, what do you do in this situation is right now, all I know is like a Ravens got a long off season. I think at some point in the next couple weeks, we're gonna the uh, I think they're gonna actually have uh, um man I can't think straight because I'm just so Tired and um and I'm also hungry, so that's why. So um I know I'm probably I know this is long. 
Huh. I really cannot think straight. Oh. Uh, no, let's just not talk about it. Um, Baking was like, I guess we'll just move on because I'm like, I'm too dark. I guess we'll talk about last night. Uh, this is still Sunday. So last night, we had WrestleMania at, uh, the Royal WrestleMania began for WWE, where they had the Royal Rumble last night. And we don't talk about wrestling much, but I ended up watching it. Um, let's go into, I guess we'll go into the event. Again, first match was Seth Rollins versus Roman Reigns for the Universal Title. Uh, Seth Rollins' biggest thing was Seth Rollins coming out to the Shield theme, wearing the Shield gear and everything. Practically just, practically just trying to get into to Roman's head in before the match. Big thing is the big thing was Seth has always been Roman Reigns one on one, so this was a big. Thing about this match, and it starts off pretty much it starts off pretty good. The Seth ends up Seth ends up hitting like a shield powerbomb on the announce table. Announce table, Roman like Roman starts coming back. There was, they had multiple callbacks like shield like callbacks callbacks to some previous matches. One of them was Seth countering the spear, countering Roman Reigns spear. Into a pedigree, into the pedigree, which was a callback to their match at Money in the Bank 2016. So, callback to that. Roman, eventually, Roman ends up getting, getting Seth in the guillotine. He ends up choking him out. Referee, like, raised the arm up and actually raised up, and Seth would grab the rope. And Roman would not let go. Roman would then eventually get himself DQ'd after a five count. That's five count. Gets DQ'd. Roman keeps the title. Seth wins. But Roman keeps the belt. After a match, Roman would eventually grab a chair. And pretty much call back to like how Seth portrayed the shield. Roman hits Seth the same way. The same way. And just beats Seth over his back with the chair, breaks the chair, bends that chair up, chair up, and then just leaves with the belt. Leaves with the belt. That's what happens. So then we go into the women's Royal Rumble, which we're gonna say is kind of a which had some good moments. I say there was like 
I say kind of good moments. I don't want to say great, but kind of good moments. Like, they had, like, the big thing was, of course, was, um, let's see if we can find this. And it's all trending. It's worth thing. I basically want to go through this. Let me find that. Guess we'll do this. We'll just go to WWE here. And we can go through the entire list of the original to the old. Who entered first and who ended first. We'll go through the whole like Fred of who the competitors were. Because it was me a whole lot easier if I can because it was right. Where is it? Are you? Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? There it is. So let's go with the women's. So the first two entrants was Sasha Banks, who came out in a Sailor Moon inspired outfit. The next entrant would be Melina, who is a former women's champion and is currently signed to the NWA. So, this is also not only a return, but also a little kick of the little uh, opening of that forbidden door of in a world of wrestling. wrestling. And right before that, and Melina would get eliminated within, like, I believe the first minute of the match beginning. Entry three would be Tamina. Entry number four would be Kelly Kelly, former Divas champion Kelly Kelly. Next would be Aaliyah for number five. Number six would be Liv Morgan. Number seven would be Queen, Queen Selena. Number eight would be Bianca Belair. Number nine would be Dana Brooke. Number ten would be Michelle McCool, former Divas champion and the wife of The Undertaker. Coming out next will be Sonya Deville, who starts off being a collar, being a commentator in commentary, wearing and wearing her jacket. Jacket at number eleven. So number twelve would be Natalia. Natalia. Number thirteen would be the form would be Cameron, who was a fuckledactyl and a former tagging partner, a friend of Naomi. When Sonya Sonya hears. Naomi pretty much somehow that caused the trigger, triggered her, and basically she decides to pretty much take off the jacket, ends up going in the ring. Rex Cameron ends up eliminating her, eliminating her, which then would bring out Naomi as the next entrant. Naomi will become out as the next entrant, and she gets her revenge. Solar focuses, puts all her focus on, on Son Sonya, who... Eventually does get, Uven gets eliminated by her, by Naomi, Naomi, but it's not over yet. So, next we have Carmella coming in, number 15. Number 16 will be Ray, Rhea Ripley. Number 17 will be the SmackDown Women's Champion, Charlotte Flair. Number 18, we will have the return of Ivory, who dresses up in a right to center outfit. Outfit. I will say, Ivory is like 55, is like in her 50s, like 
she was wrestling because the time she her prime wrestling was like when I was like a baby. I was like a baby when she was like wrestling when she was like wrestling big time. So big time. So then we have the return of Bella Twins. We have Brie Bella in 19. We're 19. Next, number 20, we would have Hardcore Country as Mickey James will come in at number 20. Next, we have the return of Lisa Fox, which is actually a surprise return. Which is actually a good surprise return. Next, we would have Nikki A.S.H., Nikki Almost a Superhero, number 22. And both her and Ripley get at it, go at it, because of their feud. Next, we would have Summer Rae coming in. Coming in. Then we have a return of Nikki Bella. Nikki Bella. This is re Nikki Bella. Uh, number 25. And number 25, we would have a return of Sarah Logan, who has been gone for quite a while because of injuries. And also, she married. she's married to one of the Viking Raiders. I don't know which one exactly. Uh, which one of them she's married to. And I think... She's been gone for a while. Next, we have a return of Lita. She ends up confronting Charlotte Flair. Somehow, I'm guessing they're going to have something between Lita and Charlotte. At some point, I'm guessing that's the case. And next, we have a return of Mighty Molly. Ever entered to make a return is Mighty Molly, also known as Molly Holly. It, for those who don't know, she ends up getting beaten up by Nikki A.S.H., and then immediately Nikki Cross basically just tosses it out because it's like I'm the new superhero gimmick character, not you. Yeet eats her out immediately. Next, we then get the big return, which is Ronda Rousey coming back. And this would be the big shock, big shock, everyone for everyone. I will say when she came in. Let me just say this: WWE makes these stupid mistakes. Why do you zoom in when they're throwing punches in a corner? Stop. And they're not even that good. And they are, like, literally, like, me and, like, my a friend of my older a high school friend of my sister, and my sister were all watching it, and we were just all looking at these punches, and we're just like, bruh, these punches are ass. Like, Ronda, like... Pretty much my band was roasting the fuck out of, like, all the legends. Because there was, like, so many entries that... So many, like, legends were in this thing. Because, because if you don't know, WB released, like, half their... Half the women. Like, half the women. The women they had in NXT. And in WB. So... So, in the main roster. So, a lot of legends came back. Came back. Number 29 would be Shotzi. And then number 30 would be Shayna Baszler. So, Baszler, it would go down to the final two would be Charlotte Flair and Ronda Rousey. Ronda eliminates Charlotte at last. She ends up winning the Royal Rumble. I'm like, to me, I'm like, I'm I'm fine with Ronda Rousey coming back. That's fine. And But there was like so many, like, I mean... I can understand. Melina coming back is fine. I would have been fine with Melina. Mickey James coming back. But we look at all the ones that are pretty much shouldn't have 
honestly didn't really need to come back as much. Did we really need a 50-year-old Ivory coming in? Coming in. Uh, I don't know. Because I'm like, I'm like, there's some that kind of could have just not shown up. Like, I would have been fine with Ivory not going. Ivory. My Molly, I'm guessing, as something. The only thing was like, there was like four other women they could have added, they could have replaced, swapped out. Monem was, Monem was, Oscar, where was Oscar? Bailey, who just got cleared to compete. Lacey Evans, who I think is now cleared to compete, has been cleared to compete. And Alexa Bliss. And she's been in some promos. Why not bring her back? I don't know. But we're going to continue on. Next, we got, let's see, what was the next match? Which was pretty much Brock Lesnar versus Bobby Lashley for the WWE title. World title. This match ends up going, is kind of short. Kind of a short one. But it was, we all knew this was like big, meaty men bumping meat. So, pretty much, we have moments where pretty much both of them suplex each other. Both of them suplex each other. And they were surprised that both of them can see Black Jeffrey, and it was like interesting. There was moments where Brock Lesnar got speared a couple times by Lashley. Lashley would go try to spear him out on the outside and ends up crashing into Time Weaver's area. Time Weaver's area. There is a point like Time Weaver's area. Uh, here if they find on the outside a bit. They're also fighting on the outside ring. Rain. Lashley puts Brock in hurt lock. Gets him in the hurt lock. He ends up eventually breaking out. Ends up having one ref bump. Then Brock sets up for an F5. Hits it. And knocks out the ref. And this is where you kind of know this is going to get kind of going to get some predictability here. Set up some predictability and I guess set up the... The feud, big feud for WrestleMania, main event, clearly in the main event. Roman Reigns comes in, he ends up spearing Brock. He'll, he gets the, he retrieves the tile from Paul, who reluctantly gives it to him. He clocks Brock with the title belt. He leaves, Paul Heyman leaves with him, and a second ref comes in, comes in, Lashley covers, wins, he becomes WWE World Champion. Brock is Roman Lee's with Paul Hammond, who reluctantly basically just basically turns, basically becomes, pretty much regains, pretty much Paul Hammond's manager. As manager. So we get to the main event, which is a the Royal Rumble match. Which is the Royal Rumble between, and it is, and it has... We start off with AJ Styles and Shinsuke Nakamura. Perfect match. Honestly, would have liked both of them be the Iron Man, having me within the final four, just to add like some I'm on the final four. So that was a big one. Number three would be Austin Theory. Number four would be Robert Roode. Robert Roode. Number five would be Rich Holland. One of the things that they made a mistake on was they eliminated Shinsuke Nakamura like. Really early, like I think after Robert Roode got in, got in, 
Number five would be Rich Holland. Number six would be Montez Ford. Number seven would be Damian Priest. Number eight would be Sami Zayn. Number entry number nine would be Johnny Knoxville. Basically, he just he was he ended up being in a Royal Rumble, getting a Royal Rumble. Pretty much is a pretty much a uh, ploy just to get the numbers for uh, get people to watch. Uh, it was basically an ad for uh, no the Jackass movie, the new Jackass movie that's coming out September February fourth. So uh, February fourth. He ends up getting beaten up by a lot, bunch of wrestlers. He eventually gets knocked out by Sami Zayn because they had a feud going on. They had their feud. I think Sami Zayn eventually gets eliminated really early. Eliminated early because they think he gloats a bit. Number 10, Angelo Dawkins comes in. And then number 11 comes in, Omos. He starts eliminating like a few people. A couple people. Next is number 12, Ricochet. Which I hope, wish they actually did stuff with him. Next, we got number 13, Chad Gable. Chad Gable. Number 14, we would have Dominic Mysterio, the younger Mysterio. Then we have number 15, and Happy Corbin. And this is where he's, and this is where so many eliminations he does. Pretty much wanted me, pretty much hate, I was saying, I hate Happy Corbin. I know his job is to make me hate him, but I just detest him so goddamn much. I mean, he does get it well, because it makes me want to fucking rip. If I actually see him in the streets, I would swing on his tall ass. I don't give a fuck he's seven feet tall, and I don't give a fuck he played in the NFL or what's the goal goes or I would fight, try to fuck your shit up, motherfucker. He pisses me off that much. Just that's how much he pisses me off. He's doing his job. Okay. Dolph Ziggler comes in at number 16. Number 17 comes in Sheamus. Number 18 comes in Rick Boogs. Then we have number 19, Matt Cap Rock. Matt, Matt Cap Moss. This is where they start eliminating some great play, great wrestlers. I think they eliminated Dominic Mysterio. That's what it is. They eliminated my boy Ricochet. I won him. They eliminated Ricochet. They eliminated both, I believe, the Straight Profits. Street Profits, I think they eliminated. I think Austin Fury got eliminated. They actually eliminated eight. I think they eliminated AJ Styles. Number 20 comes out. It's Riddle. Riddle comes out at number 20. And then I'm just like, please have Drew McIntyre just come out and just... Because they were just starting to eliminate people. And I'm just like, please, for all is holy, have Drew McIntyre come out. Beat both asses. Eliminate them and just beat their asses more for... Pretty much waste my damn time. And number twenty-one comes out. It was Drew McIntyre. I pretty much and I called and I actually called it and I was just watching this and I was like, yes, yes, yes. I was like, fuck, they shit off me, they ass. Just feel every piece of my rage. Feel every piece of my pride because he pretty much eliminated both of them. He goes through the ropes, not over the top rope. Smart. He then grabs the stairs, beats the fuck, beats them the fuck with it. Just beats their asses with it. I enjoyed every piece of that. Enjoyed every piece. Number twenty-two. We have Kevin Owens come in. Comes in. Basically, both him and Drew decided to start fighting on the outside just for. I don't know why they just said, 
you always want to just punch and start swinging. And it's like, alright, bet. Alright, bet. And then next we have Rey Mysterio coming in, number 23. Number 24, we would have Kofi Kingston come in. There was going to be a spot where I think Kevin Owens pushed him off. And Kofi was trying to catch himself onto the rain barricade. But he ends up catch he, his feet end up touching the floor before he could complete the Spider-Man stunt. So, so they kind of like shoot eliminated him, I guess, shoot-wise. Because I think the plan was for Kofi to do a spot where he ends up catching himself on a barricade like Spider-Man. He ends up climbing onto the barricade, climbs off top. I think would then like either leaps from, I guess he was going to leap from the barricade back onto the rain ropes and fire his way back in. Or he like goes towards the steps, he leaps onto the steps, climbs back on, and then climbs back in from there. That was probably what it was a spot planned. It didn't go the way way they planned it. He ends up getting eliminated. He ends up getting eliminated. So number twenty-five would be Otis of Alpha Academy. Number twenty-six would be Big E, which I thought would be the big, which I thought they would actually at least, if anything, they would at least gave Big E the win, the Rumble win. So that would set up, I guess, Bobby Lashley versus Big E for the title at WrestleMania from there, which actually would have made a whole lot of sense. Number 27. Then we get to the last few picks, and this is where it gets wild, because number 27, we would have the rapper Bad Bunny come in. Now, WrestleMania last year, his parents last year at, at WrestleMania last year, he did a good job. He ended up, he actually made a, he had a great performance with The Miz and John Morrison as a team with Damian Priest. He's, dude, he's a good-ass destroyer. He's a great destroyer. Then at number 28, we have Shane Man versus Kevin Owens. And both of them, and Shane Man comes out at number 28. And Kevin Owens is like, I fired you like three years ago. You shouldn't have shown your ass up here. It basically they fight and basically Kevin Owens tried to throw him out in it, but Shane ends up turning the tables and eliminates him, which is unfortunate. Then number twenty nine, it is the hometown hero. Pretty much the hometown guy, Randy Orton. He comes out. Huge ovation. I'm like, okay. It's either you can give Biggie a shot, or you can give like Randy Orton the chance to tie the all-time record of free Roman wins with Stone Cold Steve Austin. He's been in this company for he's coming up on his 20 year with a come 20 year of company. Surely you will at least give him that, right? So so far everything comes out. Then we get to number 30. And then as Tad would say, well, here comes the Bane because Brock Lesnar comes out and basically just wrecks Whoever was left at that point. Bad Bunny was among the final few entrants. He ended up eliminating Sheamus. And helped eliminate. And he eliminated Dolph Ziggler. Because of Bad Bunny. Because of this Bad Bunny assisted Rey Mysterio. In hitting a 619. So. Yeah so. Pretty much. Shane somehow was among the last few entrants. 
eliminate Big Biggie got eliminated. Randy Orton got eliminated. Bad Bunny, Shane. The last two was at least Dolph Ziggler, not nah, Drew McIntyre and and Brock. Rematch from WrestleMania. Pretty much them coming back at it. They Drew eliminated Brock at the 2020 Royal Rumble, which set up Drew winning the title from Brock. World title from Brock. WrestleMania. So both of them are going at it. And eventually Brock ends up eliminating McIntyre in the end. And Brock Lesnar goes to WrestleMania. Goes on to win a Royal Rumble. His second Royal Rumble. His second one. Won the Royal Rumble in 2003, which set up him winning against Kurt Angle at WrestleMania 19. And I'm like, the thing about Brock is like, okay, like they kind of shouldn't have used the Royal Rumble win for him. They could have actually set it up for him to win it at Elimination Chamber, at the Elimination Chamber, which actually would have been much better. Because if you think about it, that would have made more sense because. Brock basically wrecking everybody in the chamber. And he's pretty much so primely pissed off at Roman Reigns. At Brock, Roman Reigns, and Paul Heyman. Have him... I mean, you can probably have both Usos in that in that chamber. That number one contender chamber. Chamber. Have a couple other wrestlers in there. I mean, Seth could be in there. Cesaro. Ricochet is, has a chance. Sheamus, just have, and also Drew, well, actually, if Drew won the Rumble, actually, that would have been, if Drew won that, won it, it would have been, that would have been the case, but you could have actually used that, used that chamber, have Brock destroy everyone in that chamber in a block, in a rage, Brock wins that match, sets up, sets up the con, the match with with him and Roman, him and Roman, and then there we go. We would have been all good from there, but instead you wasted a rumble win for Brock. Why? So, so now we wait till February nineteenth, where the Elimination Chamber pay per view is now at is going to be in Saudi Arabia, apparently. Which is, which is, uh, again, they're pretty much, WB is getting blood money, but that's just me. But, that's just me. I'm not going to get into it. But, yeah, WB, y'all are dumb. Like, why would you do that? Like, why? So, I'm like, so, I say now, I did forget that there was a Raw women's title match between Becky Lynch and Drop, but let's be honest, I already, me, we already knew, like, Becky was going to win. We just didn't give a fuck about that match. Give a fuck about the match. By the way, change Dewdrop's name to Piper Niven again, because it's, the name is ridiculous and it's stupid. Use your common sense. Anyway, this is just gum. I think that's going to be it. So we're going to end the podcast right there. Sorry that this took a while. And sorry it was less coordinated. I'm just tired as fuck.
in the fasting period is like kicking is kicking my ass so won't be any anything until 10 a.m. 10 a.m. so so yeah thank you guys very much for watching now you're gonna hear me chewing gum which I honestly don't give a fuck anymore at this point what is life at this point Anyways, we're going to go ahead and close this out. Thank you guys very much for watching this episode of the J-Mine Talks Podcast. Be sure to follow this podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hit the like. Click the notification bell. All that good stuff. Follow me on follow my social medias. And, um... Yeah, we'll be uh, seeing you guys next week. So, take care, y'all. Peace.